If you have your Bibles, we do turn to, flip to, scroll to, press the book of Judges. Judges. It's in the Old Testament, early on the Old Testament. We're looking at Judges and going to Judges chapter 6. We're actually studying the book of Judges together as a church every day. We believe that God's word, the Bible, is not just something we get into on Sundays, but we get to it every day because we believe it's powerful. It has the power to change our lives. And uh, we actually read the Bible every day together as a church. And so if you want to get in on that, you want to get to know the Bible better, what you can do is go to mythrob.info and you can sign up for Pastor JB's game time sharings. You can also go to our welcome center and grab what's called a game booklet. If you know what the game stands for, the game stands for the God and me experience. It's because we believe that you were made to experience God and that you were made not just to have a relationship with God on Sundays, but a relationship with God every day. If you believe that, say amen. And so we highly encourage you to get in on that. We've been going through the book of Judges together, some powerful lessons in the book of Judges. I'm gonna to turn to Judges chapter six today. But before we get into it, let me just say, if you're new to church, if you are new to Jesus, you're just kind of exploring, you're curious, uh, maybe you were in church a long, long time ago and, and you kind of, you know, uh, like, you know, something happened, you're kind of away from church and you're back again. We, if, if maybe you're exploring, maybe you're just curious, maybe you're coming in from another background, another faith background or no background, we are thrilled that you're here. And we hope that you find that Thrive is a safe place for you, a place where you can find community, a place where you can find hope and encouragement to help you to start this new week, a place where, you know, if you got questions that hopefully you can find some help and some answers to those questions. Exactly We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions at all, any way we can be helping you in any kind of way, you can always email us at info at thrivechurch.ca. We'd love to hear from you. Well, we're getting into the message today. We're so glad to have each and every one of you here. Let's get into it right now. Judges chapter six. See, this past Sunday, we kicked off a brand new year here at Thrive Church at our kickoff Sunday last Sunday. It was amazing. And what we talked about was the new theme that's gonna fuel so much of what we do this coming year as a church together. That new theme is, if you see, if you see it, read it, with me. It's new hearts, new horizons. It's because we absolutely believe this, is that both for us as a church family together, as well as for you personally in your own individual life, I believe that it's a year when God has new horizons for you. That God doesn't want you to be stuck in the same place all the time or stuck in the same rut all the time or settled for some really comfortable bubble, but he wants you to grow. He wants you to experience new horizons, new horizons in your relationship with God, how you understand God's power, his working in your life, you know, the way his hope, his, his love, his purpose fuel your life, a new horizon there or a new horizon when it comes to how we as a church, how we impact our city and impact the world or when it comes to maybe the way you face a challenge that's in your life right now is that maybe you've been going through a really long battle that's been going on for for a really long time. I believe this coming year, God doesn't want you to face that same battle the same way. That he wants to renew your mind and your attitude toward it so that it's about a new heart and new horizons. Maybe when it comes to your relationship with people, maybe it comes to people who are really different from you, how to have a heart for them in a way that you didn't have it before. God has new horizons for you. Maybe when it comes to your career or the way you use your time, the way you see yourself, your attitude, it's about new heart, new horizons. Everyone say new heart, new horizons. That's what this new year is all about. And so much of what we do as a church together this coming year is all about that. God has new horizons for you. But how many of you guys know this? Is that if you really want to experience those new horizons in your life and you want to make the most of those new horizons, what you need is also a new heart. It's not just enough to talk about and wish for new horizons. It sometimes often requires a new heart. And that new heart often is the key that leads you to the new horizon. New horizons don't just come by themselves all the time, but sometimes the most important new horizons in our lives, we don't experience until our heart is renewed first. And that's why we're talking new heart, new horizons, because the condition of your heart impacts the limit of your horizon. And so that's what we're talking about today. How do you gain a new heart for a new horizon? Today, we're gonna to talk about a message that I call, How God Leads You to a New Heart. How God Leads You to a New Heart. 
Turn to your neighbor and say, how's God leading you? How's God leading you? How God leads you to a new heart. See, let me tell you it this way. Talking about new heart, new horizons. Gaining a new heart is not something you do just all by yourself. Because gaining a new heart is in fact a process that God initiates in your life. It's because God loves you and he wants to be a part of your, not just a part, but the center of the way you go forward from here. And the way you get a new heart is not just by you working really hard. It's about actually you letting God take the lead and you follow him in that process. And that's what we're talking about, about new heart, new horizons. And in this message we're talking about today, we're talking about how God leads you through a process to a new heart and what you and I can do to cooperate with God toward that new heart. Because a new heart isn't just by you or by God, but it's actually you and God working together. If you believe that, say amen. And see, here's the thing. We're gonna learn today how God leads you to a new heart by looking at a guy in the Bible called Gideon. Everyone say Gideon. And see, Gideon, a famous guy in the Bible, a famous guy in the book of Judges, we're gonna be looking at his life today. And from his life, we're gonna be unpacking some principles on how God leads you and me to a new heart. And after that, I'm gonna end by sharing with you just a couple ways that you and I can work with God to experience that new heart and that new horizon that God is leading you to. So let's talk about Gideon. You guys ready for Gideon? Here we go. See, Gideon, famous guy in the Bible, let's start here. When Gideon was alive, he was living in the land of Israel. And at that time, it was a tough time for the land of Israel. The country of Israel was under a great deal of oppression under uh, another nation called Midian, the Midianites. And what would happen is this, is that for seven years, the Israelites, they would plant their crops. They would try to live life as normally as they could. But the Midianites would come in and invade the land, ravage the land, plunder their homes, you know, kill their livestock, kidnap their children, and basically wreak havoc every single time the Israelites tried to do anything. For seven years, that was the case. You could imagine, you know, you know every time you get your paycheck is that someone steals your paycheck. That's kind of how the Israelites felt under the hand of Midian. And so what the Israelites do, they cry out to God. God helps them by sending them a deliverer called Gideon. And Gideon, in an amazing, spectacular way, would save the Israelites from the hand of Midian, rescuing them from Midianite oppression. For example, in Judges chapter 7, you're going to find that at that time, Gideon, he's now the commander of the Israelite army. And the Israelite army is just about to go to battle against the Midianites. But you've got to check out the numbers here. Check out these numbers. On the side of Israel, 32,000 soldiers. On the side of Midian, 135,000 soldiers. It's a huge differential. They're, like the Israelites are outnumbered five to one. How are we about to go into battle outnumbered that way? But see, here's the thing. Gideon is facing those kind of numbers. And yet God speaks to, to Gideon and says, Gideon, your army is still too big. And if you're like Gideon, you're like, what? And he's like, you know what? Because if you go into battle this way and you guys win, it's gonna be something where all your army will attribute the victory to, them, to, to themselves. They'll say, oh, it's we, it was our strength and our courage and our sacrifice that did it and it's all the human spirit we did it. It's just we're gonna worship themselves. But see, I want them to know that it was I who led them and, and, and saved them and rescued them and gave them that victory. So we're gonna reduce the size of your army. And so what does God do? God tells Gideon, and Gideon follows. Gideon says to everyone in this army that he's about to lead, he says, hey guys, all 32,000 of you, here we go. If you don't feel like fighting today, you can go home. If you don't feel like dying today, just go home. And guess what? 22,000 of them leave. I'm surprised that there weren't more that left. You know, and, and, and he's left with 10,000, 32,000 down to 10,000. And Gideon's like, okay, how about that, God? How's that? And, and, and God says, Gideon, it's still too many. 
And so what they do is this. God says, I'm going to give these men a test, all right? And Gideon's probably thinking, you know, okay, I'm sure it's maybe like a spear-throwing test. Who's the most accurate shooter? Maybe it's a UFC tournament. Let's see who's the strongest and the toughest. Maybe it's an obstacle course. See who's the fittest. But no, God says, no, uh, you don't have to do any of those things. Just get them to drink water. Gideon's like, okay, I'll get them to drink water. So he grabs these 10,000 soldiers and he says, okay, guys, let's drink water at this river. So they all start drinking water. And then God starts talking to Gideon as they're drinking. He says, Gideon, would you notice something? These men, they're all drinking in one of two ways. Some of them are drinking like this, knees to the ground. Okay, and then there's others uh, who are not drinking that way. They're using their hands and they're lapping it with their hands. Like almost like a cat. So you got some who are going, and there's some who are going, a lot of sound effects today. And see, here's the thing, is, is that God tells Gideon, all right, you're going to separate these two groups. You're not going to take the ones who go, and you're only going to take the ones who go, and some commentators are all like, yeah, you know what? That's just so spiritual, you know, because it just shows that these ones, they treasure the water of life. And I'm not, I, I don't know if that's that. I think maybe it's simply just saying God wanted the smaller group because, you know, between these two groups, thousands upon thousands were drinking it from their knees, but only 300 were drinking it from their hands. And guess what? Gideon is left with 300 guys. He's got, a, he's got an army of 300 and God says, perfect. And see what happens that same night. Gideon is talking to God. And God says to Gideon, hey, Gideon, I want you to go down to the midnight camp. And I want you to just check out, just listen to what they're saying. So Gideon, he takes a servant. They sneak into the midnight camp. And he goes and he sits by a tent. It's a massive camp. There's like so many Midianites. There's Amalekites. There's other nations that have allied with Midian. And they're all there. And, and Gideon, he just kind of sits there by a tent. And he starts to listen. And he's like, what are they saying? And all of a sudden, he hears someone in one of the tents saying, hey, I don't know if I've ever said this, but I had this dream. It's really bothering me right now. He's like, what was your dream? Oh, the dream was this, is that I dreamt last night as I was sleeping that this big bun, like it was like this big whole wheat bun just kind of tumbled into our camp and kind of destroyed everything. And they're like, oh, the hand of Midian, the hand of God. They're like, oh my goodness. And, and you know what? When Gideon hears that, he becomes so encouraged. He's like, oh my goodness, it's time. He goes back to his own camp. He worships God and he tells his men, men, it's time. This is what we're going to do. He takes a trumpet in his right hand. He takes an empty jar with a torch in it in his left hand. And he says, men, follow me. And he starts to rush toward the midnight camp, screaming for the Lord. And what happens is for some reason, the men follow. They don't even have a sword. They're, they've just got a torch in one hand and they've got a trumpet in the other. They're blowing their trumpets. And in the middle of the night, the midnight army starts to wake up from their tents going, what is going on? And they're like, oh, it sounds like a huge army is coming after them. They start to panic. They start to be like, oh my goodness. They start to retreat. They start to turn on one another. And that begins a route where the, the Midnights are defeated by 300 Israelite soldiers led by Gideon. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. And see, what amazes me about Gideon and God is this. Is, well, first off, I'm amazed that God would even do that to Gideon and go from 32,000, I'm gonna dwindle it down all the way to 300. What amazes me even more is that Gideon was okay with it. That Gideon was like, yeah, I'll do it. Sure, no problem. That's how much God, that's how much Gideon trusted God. And it makes me think, man, in some ways, I really wish I was more like Gideon. 
That when, even when God says something to me to do something that maybe doesn't quite make a lot of sense, that I wouldn't question it so much. There's no, there's no evidence in the book of Judges that he questioned that, that, that decision. He just, he's like, okay, I'll do it. Sometimes I wish I was more like that, don't you? Sometimes I wish I had more courage to follow God in the things that he wants me to do. I'm amazed by Gideon's courage. I'm amazed by Gideon's faith. I'm amazed at how he trusted God. And here's the thing. If you're like, you know, I'm not like Gideon. No way could I ever be like that. Can I tell you something today? Gideon was not always that way. Gideon was not always so full of faith and so courageous and trusting God that much with all his life. He, did, he wasn't. In fact, there, when we first meet Gideon in Judges chapter six, we find that Gideon is so full of fear. He's so full of worry. He's so full of doubts about God, doubts about himself, full of worries about his life. And, and you know what? What we're gonna find is that God leads him through a process to having a new heart, a new heart that trusts God, a new heart where he's courageous and facing whatever he's facing, knowing that God is with him. And I believe with all my heart that just as God had these new horizons for Gideon, these incredible feats that he wanted to accomplish. I believe that God wants to do something similar in your life as well. Is that God has new horizons for you this coming year. That God has new accomplishments and feats that he wants to do that are gonna cause people to go, wow. But see, before you get there, you first need to be led to a new heart. And that's what we're talking about today. Today, we're gonna learn three ways that God led Gideon to a new heart. Because these are the same three ways that God is leading you today, whether you know so or not. See, we're gonna look at three ways that God led this young man, Gideon, with many fears, many doubts to a new heart. And I believe, if you write this down, take, this, take notes today, I believe you're gonna benefit from learning three ways that God leads you to a new heart as well. Are you guys ready? Here we go. Let's go. Here we go. Three ways that God leads to a new heart. See, when we first meet Gideon, he is a young man working on his father's field. And Judges chapter six, verse 11 says this. Read it with me. One, two, three. It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the midnights. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Hey guys, I know this is not Netflix, right? This is not, this is, this is not a screen. This is real life here, all right? You guys are pretty, you're louder than the 930 service, but let's give her a very best, all right? So let's, let's read verse 12 one more time. What is it? A big loud voice, not Netflix, but like live audience, right? And one, two, three, it says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That's a little better. See what's going on. You guys are doing great. Love it. See, here's the thing is Gideon is, you know, what is Gideon doing when God finds him? Gideon is threshing wheat. Look at verse 11. He's threshing wheat. What does that mean? It's that he's making grain. He's making bread. He's taking this pitchfork. He's throwing wheat up in the air and the wind is blowing it and he's separating the wheat from the chaff. He's making bread for his family. Normally when you're threshing wheat, you're on a threshing floor, which is like a big open area. We've got a picture of it as well. It's where you can thresh in an open area. Everyone can see it. I said we had a picture for it as well. And, uh, you know, and do we have to, there we go. Is that, is that you can thresh, you know, that, that, that and, and this open area, Everyone can see, but you see, here's the thing. Gideon is not doing that there. What, where is he doing? He's doing it in a wine press. Why would you thresh in a wine press? See, that's like, a, like, that's like an empty swimming pool, right? And like, why, why would he do it there? Why is he threshing wheat in a place where you make wine? Let me tell you why. It's because he's scared. Gideon is afraid. In fact, he's afraid for his life. That's why he is hiding in the wine press while he's trying to make grain. Have you ever done work scared before? Have you ever you know, done your career scared for your life? What's gonna happen to me? That's what he's doing. He is scared for his life while he's working in this wine press. And see, Gideon feared what he couldn't control. Gideon feared what might happen to him. Gideon, all he could see on his horizon was fear. And see, yet while Gideon is hiding in fear, God comes to him. 
And God says to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And see, if you're Gideon, you're like, who, who are you talking to? Sorry, you're talking to me? Me? You're talking to me? A mighty warrior? Me? And see, here's the thing. It just goes to show you the first way that God leads you to a new heart. The first way that God leads you, God leads you to a new heart through his encouraging word. See, God is an encouraging God. God sees in us what we don't always see in ourselves. God, in many ways, is your biggest fan. That's how much he believes in you. And see, just as God said to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I believe that that is exactly what God wants to say to some of you in this place today. That in the season that you're in, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Maybe work is really stressful right now. You feel like work is over your head right now. It's just so stressful and you feel like every day is a battle. I believe that God is saying to you today, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Maybe you're facing a health scare right now. Maybe your own health or the health of someone you love and you are so worried about what's gonna happen or what might happen and you're like, you know what? What am I gonna do? And I believe God's word for you is, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Maybe something's going on in a relationship with you right now and it's just, it's just not happening or it's just really hard right now. And you're kind of like, when will this end? When will the trouble stop? And I believe God's word for you today, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Turn to him and say, you're a mighty warrior. You're a mighty warrior. See, you might be, how can I be a mighty warrior? Maybe when you see yourself, it's like, I'm not a warrior. I'm a worrier. You know, I just worry all the time. But see, God looks at you and says, no, I'm with you, mighty warrior. It's because God is a, an encouraging God. God sees in us what we don't see in ourselves. He speaks about us in ways that we don't always speak about ourselves. And you see that throughout the Bible. You see, like in Genesis, a guy called Abraham, an old wealthy guy who always wanted kids and never had kids. And God says to him, you are the father of many nations. Or, you know, Jesus in the New Testament, he's got all these disciples. His most unstable, most unpredictable one is a guy called Simon. And Jesus says to Simon, you are Peter, which means the rock. And on this rock, I'm gonna build my church. And you know what happens? Is that's exactly what happens. Is that Abraham, Peter, they end up listening more to what God says about them than what the circumstances are telling them. And they end up gravitating toward, toward the, toward, to become the people that God made them to be. And the same goes for you and for me today. Is that you and I, we have a choice. We can either listen to what God is saying about you, or you can listen to your circumstances, what your circumstances seem to be telling you. And there's, they're not always going to be the same. And here's the thing, is that if you would listen and focus on what God says about you, you will gravitate toward becoming the person that God always made you to be. And that is what happened with Gideon. Gideon is fearful. Fear is all he knows. That's his whole horizon. That's his whole heart. But God is leading him out of fear, out of the shell of fear, out of that wine press to a new heart and a new horizon. Amen. Maybe you're here and, you know, if, if God were to surprise you with the word, maybe it would be you are deeply loved. Maybe for some of you here, you've always doubted how much you're loved or how much you're worth or, you know, you always kind of look down on yourself. And I believe God is, you know, wanting to say to you, you are deeply loved. Maybe you're here and you've always struggled with guilt and shame about something that happened in your life. Maybe you did something, you know, a you know, long time ago or even recently and you just feel so bad about it and you've never gotten over it. And I believe God wants to say to you something that may surprise you, but is to encourage you is that in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In Jesus Christ, you can have a new start, a new heart, a new horizon. See, through his encouraging word, God leads us to a new heart. That's the first way that God leads us. It's through his encouraging word. Turn to your name and say his encouraging word. 
his encouraging word. Number two, look at Judges 6, 13 to 14. What does it say? Judges 6, 13 to 14. Read it with a big, loud voice. It says, but sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of men. Okay, what's going on? So God tells Gideon, hey, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's first reaction is, what are you talking about, God? Like, what do you mean? What you talking about? Like, like, like what, what, where are you? Like, the fact is that we are in this mess right now. I can't see where you are. Like, like, like our forefathers talked about how you rescued from Egypt. Where are you? Where, where is this God that saves? And, and he's even like, you know what, God, you've abandoned us. That's what you've done. Have you felt that way before? Even said those words to God before? And see, if I'm God, how would I respond? Maybe if you're God, how would you respond? Like, would you, like if, if I was God, I'd be like, you know what? No wonder you're in a wine press, Gideon, because you're just so good at whining. You know, you're whining in the wine press. You make really good wine, W-H-I-N-E, that kind of wine. Stop whining. Or if I was God, I might put Gideon in his place and go, you know what, Gideon, do you even realize why you're in this situation in the first place? It's not because of my fault. It's because of you guys. I was faithful to our coven. I told you guys, I'm going to bring you into this amazing land. And if you would just, you know, follow my commandments and listen to me, everything's good. But you guys rejected me time and time and time again, not just once, but over and over again. And that that's caused you guys to have the trouble that you have today, huh? Like that, that, that's what I was said, if I'm God. But notice, notice what God says to Gideon. Look at the next verse, look at verse 14. It says, the Lord turned to him. Notice it, stop right there. Notice God didn't turn away from Gideon. He turned to Gideon. And see, notice that's what happens when you have questions. You know, there's nothing wrong with having questions. In fact, having questions about God is good. We encourage that. We did a whole series last year called Overcome My Unbelief, where we tackle some of the biggest questions that people have about Jesus, about the Bible, about the Christian faith, all that stuff. And it's good to have questions, as long as you do so with a humble heart. And see, in Gideon's case, he wasn't that humble about it. He was accusing God of abandoning them. He's like, you're not here. You're not there. You know, we, we, we can't see you. You've abandoned us. That's, that was his attitude toward God. It wasn't the most humble attitude. But see, nevertheless, God shows undeserved kindness to Gideon. He turns to Gideon and says, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? See, that's what he says in verse 14. Carver, can you put up verse 14, let them see it? The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? See, what happened? Gideon has all these questions and doubts and accuses God of all these things, and yet God shows undeserved kindness to Gideon. Why is that? Why? It's because maybe it's because Gideon was young. Maybe. But here's a bigger reason, probably a more probable reason, is that God knew what Gideon had gone through. For those who don't know, Gideon actually had some brothers who were actually killed by the Midianites. And so with that came a lot of hurt, some frustrations, some, some, some doubts, some questions, and God had compassion on Gideon. So instead of rejecting Gideon, God was gentle with Gideon. He even gave Gideon the mission. He said, I'm sending you to rescue Israel out of Midian's hand. And it just goes to show that sometimes when God allows you to see issues and allows you to see problems in life, it's not because you're just there to moan about it and complain about it and you whine about it, but he, he puts that in your life so that you can be part of a solution. Amen. Amen. And that's what God did with Gideon. And see, what that leads us to is the second way that God leads us to a new heart. It's this, God leads you to a new heart through his undeserved kindness. 
And see, in other words, the Bible calls that grace. It's the amazing grace of God. The undeserved kindness of God is what helps lead us to a new heart. Has God been kind to you? You know, when I think about God's kindness to me, I think about a couple instances that happened when I was a kid, maybe nine years old or so, is that uh, I, I remember back in the day, I loved to play hockey. Nine years old. My favorite team was not the Vancouver Canucks. My favorite team was the Edmonton Oilers. All right, I loved the Edmonton Oilers. And uh, Wayne Gretzky was like my idol. I, I remember meeting Wayne Gretzky. I was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it's you. And, and here's the thing. Uh, is, uh, you know, I used to pretend I was Wayne Gretzky in the basement of, my, uh, of, 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 our, of our house where you know, I'd be stick handling, I'd be pressing wrist shots and you know, backhands and slap shots and all that stuff. And then there, there was this bar that my dad kind of set up in the basement. It's got bar stools, it's got a counter, it's got you know, glass with all these shelves with glasses on it. And one day for some reason, I just feeling kind of cocky and confident and saying, you know what? I bet I could hit the back of the counter without hitting the glass. So I'm just like, all right, here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Finally, I remember this in slow motion. I flick it way too high. And I can still remember in slow motion, the ball is flying. It's flying over the bar stools. It's flying over the bar counter. And it lands, hits the glass. And some glasses broke, all that stuff. My dad comes rushing down. What happened? Are you okay? And I didn't know what to say. He looked at the bars. He looked at the glass. He's like, please be more careful next time. That's all he said. He didn't ground me. He didn't spank me. Some of you guys like, what? No wonder this guy's as weird as he is, you know? And, 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 and so that, that's, that's, the fir- that's the first like, sense of my, like, God showing me kindness through my dad. And I, I, it's not the only time, but here, let, me, let me give you one more. Loved hockey, right? So you know, we had this family computer when I was 10 years old. And on this family computer, I had this file that I would compile all these hockey stats. And uh, for some reason, I couldn't find the file one day. So I got super mad. I got mad at the computer as if it's the computer's fault. And I start hitting the computer. I start banging on the computer. Like, like, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? I keep on banging it, banging it, banging it. Finally, when I try to turn the computer on again, it goes like this. And, And I'm like, oh my goodness, I just destroyed our family computer. And then I hear the steps coming down the stairs. It's my dad. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And I didn't know what to do. I was crying. I grabbed my wallet. I took out all the money I could find. It was maybe 80 bucks or something. And I give it to my dad. I'm crying. I don't even say anything. I'm just crying. I'm, I'm handing him money. And my dad, he fun- when he finally understood what happened, he brought me upstairs once. And he didn't take off his belt. He didn't spank me. He didn't ground me. You know what he said? He sat me down. He looked at me in the eye and said, JB, you really got to learn to control your temper. That's all he said that day. Now, has he treated me that way every single time? No, but the fact is that that was undeserved kindness. And you know, I don't know, it's, it's for me, when I think about those situations, I think about later on in life, when I was like 15, 16 years old, and I started to hear this message about the gospel, how God loves us so much that he, he died on the cross for us, all that stuff. And you know what? It's because of moments like that, when I received undeserved kindness from my dad, that it was easier for me to believe in a God who loves me and a God who's nice, who's not just a judge, who's not just there to pound you when you do things wrong, but actually shows you mercy and forgives you. And for me, that was one of those examples of how God led me to a new heart through his undeserved kindness. I don't know about you. I don't know about your relationship with your dad is like, but can I tell you, you have a heavenly father who's just like that as well. 
is that when we were separated from God because of our sins, when we were distant from God, we rebelled against God, we said to hell God with what you think, I'm doing things my way, and so God, don't care about you, and you know, because of our sin, we separated ourselves from God, we ran away from God, not the, way, not the other way around, and you know, the Bible even says the wages of sin is death, in other words, because of our sin, we can't have anything to do with God, not now, not forever, not on earth, not in heaven, we have no right to that, we're separate from God because of that, but because God saw that and said, I don't wanna be apart from you and I love you, and I don't want to be away from you for eternity. I want a relationship with you now and forever. What did God do? This perfect God reaching imperfect people. He sent Jesus Christ's son to die on the cross for our sins, to pay the penalty that we were supposed to pay, to die the death that we were supposed to die. And so that by, in, by trusting what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, we were forgiven of our sins that all that debt is canceled, our punishment is paid, and we can be forgiven and clean and blameless before him. Praise God. Oh, come on, give God a big hand for that. And not only did Jesus die on the cross for our sins, but to show you that you can trust every single word that Jesus says, unlike any other individual who ever started any faith movement, every philosophy, any religion, this one guy, this one only guy is the one, Jesus, who came back to, who rose again from the grave to show you can trust what Jesus says. This is the undeserved kindness of God. And see, it's because God's undeserved kindness leads us to a new heart. In fact, Romans 2 says it this way, is that God, your kindness leads us to repentance. In other words, it's not God's judgment all the time that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness. It's his kindness leads us to a new heart. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, God's been kind to me. God's been kind to me. That's the second way that God leads us to a new heart. It's through his undeserved kindness. Third way that God leads us to a new heart. Judges chapter six, verse 15. Read it with me. Big loud voice, one, two, three. It says, but Lord Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. See what's going on. See, God has already encouraged Gideon. God has already shown Gideon undeserved kindness, but still Gideon has all these questions and doubts. And see, the doubts were not so much about God anymore. The doubts were about him. See, he's saying, but how, how can you use someone like me? Like I, I'm the weakest in my family and my family is the smallest in our tribe and our clan is the weakest in our tribe. How can Israel possibly be saved through someone like me? In other words, Gideon had bigger doubts about himself than he had about God. And see, Gideon had this way of looking down on himself. Though from the outside, you couldn't tell there's anything wrong with Gideon. Gideon had this way of looking down on himself. Maybe you're like that as well. Is that on the outside, everything looks great. Everything looks fine. But on the inside, you're constantly putting yourself down. You're constantly talking about how much you're worthless or how no one loves you or you're not capable, you're not confident, you're a failure, you're not qualified. Can you count yourself out before anyone else does? Maybe that's you. That was Gideon. And see, Gideon, you, know, you couldn't tell that he had much, but in fact, you know, he, he came from a pretty wealthy family with 10 servants. We're gonna find that out later. But you don't see any of that because Gideon was talking to himself in such a way that looked down on himself so much. His doubts about himself were even bigger than his doubts about God. And what does God say in response? Look at verse 16, he says, read it with me. It says, the Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. See, so in other words, what's God doing? God is saying to Gideon, hey, Gideon, Stop focusing on yourself, focus on me. Stop putting your hope in your background, your resume, what you can do, your abilities, you know, what you can do, focus on what I can do. Focus on me, put your hope and security, not in yourself, put your hope and security in me. And see, that leads us to the third way that God leads us to a new heart. God leads us to a new heart by inviting you to put your hope and security in him, not in yourself. See, maybe if you had to be really honest with yourself, there have been times in your life, maybe even recently, 
when you've put your hope and security in something other than God, that you've put your hope and security in your wealth, your money, you put your hope and security in the way you look in front of people, you know, your appearance, maybe what others say about you, maybe you know, how many followers you have on Facebook or on, on Instagram or you know, how well received you are in certain places, or maybe you put your hope in another person who disappointed you badly and you're like, oh man, why did I ever put my hope in that person? And see, here's the thing. One of the ways that God leads you to a new heart is to show you that if you want to find true hope and true security, put your hope and security in me, God says. See, it's because everything else is like shifting sands. You try to build your life on anything else and make that the center and the foundation of your life, it's going to crumble one day. But if you put your hope and security in God, it's a security that's going to last. It's a hope that's going to last too. Amen? Amen. Turn to your and say, put your hope in God. Those are three ways that God leads you to a new heart, by his encouraging word, by his undeserved kindness, and by inviting us to put our security in him. Now, how do you and I cooperate with God on that? That's what God does, how about on our side? See, because God can do all these things, but if you don't respond in an appropriate way, guess what? You're still gonna be on the same horizon. You're not gonna have a new heart. You're just gonna be this really cold, distant, callous person where God is doing all these things to get your attention and you don't respond. How do we respond? Let's talk about three ways you can respond to the work that God is doing to lead you to a new heart. Are you ready? Write this down. Number one, keep open communication with God. This is what Gideon did. Gideon, he had all these fears, doubts, hurts, frustrations, disappointments, questions. He had all those things. And one of the things that Gideon did, which is a good thing, is he kept open communication with God. He wasn't someone who would close himself off from God, cut off God from him. He would keep on talking to God about this. He was real with God about how he felt. You must be real with God about how you feel because he already knows everything in you anyways. You might as well hide it. You, you, you might as well not hide it. It's like you know, with God, you don't need to wear a mask. With God, you can take that mask off and be real with him because he already knows everything about you. And that's what Gideon did. And as he was real with God, as he kept open communication with God, as he talked to God and let God talk to him, his heart began to change. And see, you could even say that where Gideon started to make biggest, the biggest mistakes of his life was toward the end of his life when you, can, you don't see much evidence of him talking to God anymore. It's because you ought to keep open communication between you and God. And see, there's two ways you can do that. The first is, like Gideon, be real about how you feel when you come to God. Bring your, don't just your thanks and your praise and your worship, but bring your fears, bring your questions, bring your doubts, bring your frustrations, bring your hurts, because God loves you and all of you. Amen. That's the first way. Be real with God. Turn to say, be real with God. Number two is let God speak into your life. That's what Gideon did as well, is that he didn't cut communication off with God, but he let God speak to his life through his word. And see, since God wants to encourage you through his encouraging word, since he wants to lead you a new heart through his encouraging word, what does that mean for us? Let's read God's word every day. Let's get into the word of God. Let's hear what God has to say. Let's not just talk to God. Let's let him talk to us through this. And if you're not really sure how to do that, that's why we have something called Thrive to Step Up School. That's where we teach you how to read the Bible, how to pray, how to communicate with God, how to hear from the Holy Spirit, all those things. You can do that you know, at Thrive to Step Up School. But it's kind of like this, you know, in high school or maybe in university for some of you, or maybe you just did this last night. You know, you maybe have a friend, maybe a boyfriend or maybe a girlfriend, and, and you may be in two different places and you decide, you know what? Can, can we, it's a really fun talking around. Can we just stay on the phone like all night? 
and, and you know, you might not all, you might, you might be talking all night, but you keep the phone kind of by your side and you might be doing homework, you might be doing something else, you might be, you know, doing something, or you might be watching a movie together and it's like, it's just, but, but you've, got, you've got each other on the phone, you never hang up. Have you ever done that before? Are you still there? Hi, ah, yeah, yeah, I can hear you breathe. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever done that before? Have you not? Uh, yeah, well, anyways, here's the thing, is that God is the same way with you and me. Don't hang up on God because God never hangs up on you. Don't hang up on God because God never hangs up on you. You want to keep open communication with him. And see, here's the thing. Let me put it to you this way. Pastor Shar uh, and I, we have uh, a really good friend who's part of our small group. I encourage you to be a part of a small group here at Thrive. Don't do life on your own. Uh, we have a small group where uh, we have one really good friend of ours who was sharing with us something that happened with her is that she went through a really big setback when it came to work. And uh, she you know, experienced a setback that really caused her to doubt herself. You know, she felt like a failure. She felt like, how am I possibly get up from this? And you know, it was one of those things where it was so serious, she had such a tough time getting up from that failure that she decided to consult counselors, psychiatrists, psychologists, and try to diagnose the problem, get a solution to that problem, but nothing was really helping her. And one night, She's in bed and her husband you know, says, hey, you know, why don't you pray about this? Like, why don't you talk to God about this? And it kind of surprised her that he would say that, but he's like, like she's like, you know, I, I, feel, I don't know what to say. Like, I, I, I feel like I've lost the power to pray, she said. But then his hus- her husband went to sleep and then she kept on thinking about what her husband said. And eventually she rolled out of bed, she went to another room, and for that night she started just to pour her heart to God in a way that she had never done so before. And she's just real with God about everything that was going on and knowing that God already knew. And it's crazy, because psychologists, psychiatrists couldn't help her, counselors couldn't help her, and yet the next morning she wakes up from you know, a, a night of sleep, not much sleep, but a night of sleep, and she wakes up and she's like, you know what, I feel like the depression is gone. And it was, the burden was lifted, and she was herself again. And that has never come back again for her, which is incredible. It just goes to show that when you're open to communicate with God that way, you're giving God room to do something that other people cannot do, that you can't do for yourself. It's God leading you to a new heart. Oh, come on, can you give God a big hand for that? That's amazing. I was amazed when I heard that. Turn your and say, keep open communication with God. Keep open communication with God. That's the first way that you and I can cooperate with God toward a new heart. Number two, obey God step by step. Obey God step by step. See, the whole reason why Israel was in this place in the first place, in this trouble in the first place, was because Israel had rejected the Lord and started following the gods of the Canaanites. And see, here's the thing, is that you know, instead of trusting the Lord who had brought them into this promised land, they started being really attracted to other things going on. They were like, oh, that, 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 that sounds interesting. Oh, that sounds really cool. Wow, that, wow, oh, wow. And you know what happened? Is that they started, even Gideon's own family started to worship other gods like Baal and Asherah. And see, just to give you a little bit of background on Baal, Baal was what the main god of the Canaanites. And you know, the Canaanites, they would sacrifice bulls, they'd sacrifice goats, they'd even sacrifice children to Baal, especially in times of crisis. Thinking that, okay, God, like Baal is in control, so let's appease Baal's anger by sacrificing what's most precious to us. So, so they even, even sacrificed their own children. Asherah was another god. It was a goddess of fertility. And she was considered by the Canaanites to be Baal's mother and mistress. It was like this weird incestuous relationship between Baal and Asherah. So their kind of stories and legends would go. And they believed that somehow when Baal and Asherah got together sexually, that that somehow produced good harvests. 
And that's what led to stuff where you would go to a Baal altar, you would go to an Asherah pole, and worshipers of Baal and Asherah would have sex with one another, with the temple priest or the temple prostitute, all thinking that it's going to lead Baal and Asherah to come together as well. And that would in turn lead to a good harvest or they can have more babies. That was what kind of the thinking going, go, notice how you know, not, not, religions are all not the same. For those of you who think, oh, all religions are the same. No, they're not. They're not. In this case, they're taking God's wonderful gift of sex and twisting it in a way that was never meant to be. It's like a form of religious prostitution. And see, God comes to Gideon and he says this. He says in Judges 6.25, he says, that same night, the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than the daytime. In the morning when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. See what's going on is that before God would elevate Gideon to lead his people publicly, God was asking Gideon to deal with something in his heart privately. See what was going on in his heart, in his family. There was the worship of Baal and the worship of Asherah. And what's going on, they had a Baal altar on their own property. They had an Asherah pole on their own property. And so God is saying, hey, you need to do something about this. And it just goes to before God will really use us in the way he meant to use us in a public way, we also have to deal with the private stuff that goes on. And see, and see God, he, he does this. He says, will you tear down this Baal altar? Will you tear down that Asherah pole? And will you build an altar to me? and just restore things the way that things were always meant to be. And maybe that's something you need to do today. Maybe you realize you don't have a Baal altar in your life or an Asherah pole, but there's something else in your life that you've been kind of bowing down to. And God is saying to you, you know what? It's time to tear that down and to build something new. Go back to where you were always meant to be. And see, that's what God does with Gideon. And Gideon, he's a bit scared to do it because his whole town worships Baal. His whole town worships Asherah. So he's like, oh my goodness, if I do this, people are gonna persecute me. If I do this, people are gonna wanna kill me. So he does it at night. He takes 10 servants and they chop down the Asherah pole. Timber. And, he try, he, and, and, and they, they kick down the altar. Like, they, 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 they destroy the altar of Baal and then they build a new altar unto the Lord. And see, what is that? That is Gideon obeying God step by step. And see, here's the thing you need to know is that when you obey God step by step, not only do you honor God, but even more, something happens in you is that that's the, that, that, that one of the oh, oh, I obey God for God. No, actually, obedience is not for him. It's actually for us. Because something happens in our heart when we obey God, is that your heart grows. Your heart for God expands when you obey God. Peace in your heart grows when you obey God. Your heart stays soft before God when you obey God. It becomes that much easier to obey God in other ways and sometimes bigger ways when you obey God by taking that next small step. If you believe that, say Amen. But see, here's the thing, the opposite is also true. If you know what God wants you to do, you know that next step he wants you to take, but you keep refusing to do it, what happens in your life is that your heart for God shrinks. The peace in your life shrinks. Your softness, your soft heart becomes harder and harder such that you will never get to a new heart, never get to a new horizon until you learn to obey God step by step. And see, here's a question for you today. What is the next step of obedience? that God wants you to take this coming season of your life, maybe even today, maybe even this week, 
is it maybe for some of you, it's to get baptized. And baptism is not a, a scary thing, it's a happy thing, right? Baptism is not a graduation, baptism is a beginning. For those of you, the many of you who, who receive Jesus Christ at our services, you know, I encourage you to take that next step of getting baptized. What is baptism? Baptism is you simply saying, I know I'm a sinner who needs a savior, I thank Jesus for dying on the cross for me. That's what baptism is. And maybe you've never been baptized before, I encourage you to take that next step. That's the next step of obedience that Jesus commands his followers to take. That's the first maybe step you could take. Maybe another one is for you, it's to, it's, it's to finally forgive that person who's hurt you so badly. And you know that God's been kind of nudging at your heart, saying, you just let it go. Forgive that person. And, and forgiving doesn't mean trusting that person again, but it means let it go for your sake so that you can move on. And maybe that's the next step of obedience that God wants you to take. Maybe that next step of obedience is the opposite. Maybe it's that you need to ask for forgiveness from someone. Is that you've been very tight-lipped about something you did wrong and you haven't confessed it to the other person. You haven't asked for an apology. You haven't asked for forgiveness. You haven't given an apology. Maybe that next step is to do just that, is to ask for forgiveness. Maybe it's to change your attitude in a certain area of your life. Is to stop you know, thinking this way and to start thinking in a way that pleases God a little bit more. Maybe it's a habit in your life. See, here's the thing. By obeying God step by step, we're led to a new heart. And so that's the second way we can respond to God and go toward a new heart with him. Is this helpful in this place together today? Yeah? Are you finding this helpful? Praise God. Third thing we do to respond to God, and this is the last thing we're gonna start, we're gonna end with today. Number three, write this down. Give opportunities for God to show his power in and through your life. Give God opportunities. The first way is open communication. The second way is to obey God step by step. The third way is give opportunities for God to show his power in and through your life. See, we're gonna end today by talking about the most famous part of Gideon's story. You see, Gideon is often known for, if nothing else, he's known for a fleece. Do you guys like to wear fleece? Some of you guys are wearing fleece right now. Uh, when I used to you know, study at UBC, it felt like all the students were wearing fleece. I felt like fleece was like the unofficial uniform of UBC students. Like, like, there's so much fleece. And what, what is fleece? You know, fleece is you know, a warm, woolly fabric, kind of you know, often made out of lamb wool. And, uh, and Gideon, he does this thing with God. Let's read it in Judges 6, 36 to 40. Read with me a big, loud voice. Remember, this is Netflix, people. Let's read verse 36. One, two, three, it says, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. What is going on here? You see, what's going on is that Gideon knows that God is saying, okay, I'm sending you to rescue the people of Israel from the hand of Midian. And Gideon is still kind of unsure. And he's like, God, you know, if, if you really want me to be the one to do this, could you do this for me? I've got this fleece and I'm gonna lay it on the ground. And um, could you do this? I'm gonna go to bed and tomorrow morning, if the fleece is all wet, but the ground around it is dry, I'll know that it is you calling me to do this, okay? Can we do that? So he goes home. Has a sleep, has, has a good night's sleep, he comes back. Oh my goodness, wow. Oh my goodness. This is soaked, oh my. Oh my. And like the ground is dry. He's like, he, he rings out the fleece. There's like a bowl full of water underneath. He's like, oh my goodness. 
I gotta guess it's you. I gotta. Wait, 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 wait. What, what if it was something where the ground was also wet, but the ground just got dry early, and, and, and this was also wet, and everything was wet, and this, okay, God, can we do one more thing? Okay, can, can we do the opposite now? Can we do this? Make the fleece dry, make the ground wet. Is that okay? Thank you, please, just, please, one more thing, one more, just, okay, okay, thank you, thank you. Okay, and he goes back, he sleeps, he wakes up the next morning, and he finds the fleece exactly as he asked it to be. The fleece is dry. The ground is wet. And see, a lot of commentators, they look at Gideon's life and they say, this is exactly why Gideon is a man of weak faith. This is exactly why we don't think Gideon should have been in the hall of fame for faith in Hebrews 11 in the New Testament. Like that this, this is just weak faith. Look at this. He's, he's putting conditions on God before he obeys. Look at this. He is, you know, he's basically saying, oh, you know, I need a sign after sign after sign. Didn't God already tell you what you're supposed to do? And see, you know, I, I, I get all that. I get where they're coming from on that. But I also want you to keep in mind a couple of things when we think about Gideon. The first is this, is that Gideon is going through a process. I wouldn't say a process. And see, here's the thing. Gideon, this is early on in the process when he's not this perfect guy. He's not this man full of faith. He's got struggles. He's got fears. He's got doubt. And so he does this one thing where he asks God to do this thing with a fleece. And, and here's the thing. You got to remember the kind of man he became, a man who was full of faith. And so rather than just focusing on that person's past, focus on that person's future. Amen? Amen. That's the first thing about Gideon you got to keep in mind. Second thing about Gideon you got to keep in mind is that Gideon didn't have the stuff that you and I have. Gideon didn't have the luxuries that you have today. Even right now, what you have in your hand, multiple Bibles in your hand if you got a phone, or maybe one Bible in your hand if it's a paper Bible. Multiple, multiple pieces of scripture, multiple Bibles. You know, you've also got the Holy Spirit if you trusted Jesus Christ in your life. And see, here's the thing, when we, nowadays, you know, for us as followers of Jesus, we have these things to know the heart of God and the will of God. Gideon didn't have any of that. He didn't have the cross yet. There wasn't, Jesus had, it would be 1300 years before Jesus would come. There was no cross, there was no resurrection yet. And so Gideon, that's all he has. Keep that in mind. But the third thing, the most important thing I want you to keep in mind about Gideon is this. Why is it that Gideon even did this in the first place? Is it because he didn't believe in God? No. Gideon believed in God. He already knew that God is. That's why he even, you know, cut down the Asherah pole and tore down the Baal altar and set up a new altar. He did all those things, risked his life to do those things because he believed in God. But what he didn't believe in was himself. His faith in his own weakness was bigger than his faith in God's power. And maybe that's your issue today too. Is that you believe in God. You believe that God is good. You believe that God is powerful. But what you're really, really, really not sure about and what you often doubt sometimes in your own heart is God, can you really use me? You think God is big, but I'm so small. And you focus on that sometimes more than how big God is. And see, that was Gideon. He was so focused on how small he is. He couldn't get it out of his mind. How could God use someone possibly like me? And so when he was putting out the fleece, his question was not, God, are you there? That's not his question. He knows God's there. His question is, God, are you with me? Are you with me? Like, I know you're there, but are you with me? Because I can't leave this people if I don't know that you're with me. And that's, what exactly, that's exactly the, the reason why he puts down this fleece. And see, I want to tell you this. When God answers Gideon those two times, dry fleece, wet ground, wet fleece, dry ground, that was God saying in a resounding way, yes, Gideon, I am with you. And the same way, God is with you as well. You might not have a dry fleece and a wet fleece and all this, but what you have is something even greater. You have two things I'll talk about right now. You've got the cross of Jesus Christ. You have the cross where Jesus died. Romans 5 says, God demonstrated his own love for us while we were still sinners. 
Christ died for us. You don't ever have to question your worth or how much God loves you or how much God is for you and not against you and how much God is with you because Jesus died on the cross for you. That is the cross, amen? Amen, praise God. Yeah, you can clap for that. What is the cross? The cross is when everything that was due to us fell on Jesus. Everything that was due to us fell on the Lamb of God. Notice this, isn't that a lot like that first sign? The fleece is wet. Everything that was supposed to fall on the dry ground falls on the wet fleece instead till he's soaked. It's soaked. The skin of the lamb is soaked. Isn't that a lot like the cross? Here's a second Here's a second thing that we have. You and I have this if you have Jesus in your life. You have the Holy Spirit. And who's the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit, what happens is when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I receive you into my life. God says that in that moment, you have a relationship with God by his Holy Spirit, where God by his Holy Spirit now lives on the inside of you. That doesn't mean that you become a God. That means that God has a relationship with you where now you have got the presence of God in your life to guide you, to counsel you, to lead you, to do all those things. That is the Holy Spirit. And hey, isn't that a lot like the second sign? Where, you know, what is the second sign? It's that the stuff that was on the lamb skin is now getting on everything else. Isn't that the same with the Holy Spirit? God took what was on Jesus, the Lamb of God, and he poured it out on us. Amen. And see, I believe this, is that God gives us these two signs to show you that you never, ever, 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 ever have to question whether God is with you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He is with you so you can experience a new heart and a new horizon. Oh, come on, if you believe that, give God a big hand, big shout in this place together right now. Would you shout to God in this place, church? Online, on site, come on. Amen, amen. See, next time you have got a question for God, what should you do? Should you do what Gideon did and put out, you know, get, get your North Face jacket? God, please let it be. Or, you know, oh man, that, that girl's really cute at work. Oh man, oh, she's so attractive. Oh my goodness, she's attractive. Uh, um, oh man, what am I tell my wife? Okay, uh, okay, let me, let me do this. Uh, God, if you want me to be with that girl, could you make her call me right now? Give me a sign, please, give me a sign. Give me a sign. No, don't, please don't do that. Please don't do that. Because you know what? God has already revealed his heart and his will in his word to you. So don't ask for a sign when God has already communicated what he wants through his will. That's why he gives us his word. And see, that said, can you and I be more like Gideon in a certain way? Yes, we can. Just as Gideon did, give God more opportunities for his power to work in through your life. Give God space and room to, how do you do that? How do you possibly give God more room to work in your life? Well, how about this? Serve God in ways that stretch your faith. Don't just do what's comfortable. Don't just do what's convenient. Don't just do what's for you, but serve others in a way that stretches you. Because that's when you say, God, I can't do this without you. You know, maybe it's for you. It's about giving sacrificially. Instead of just giving what is comfortable or convenient, give even when you don't feel like you have enough because it gives God room to come in the gap and do something that you couldn't do yourself. Maybe it's about praying big prayers, not little prayers that require no faith, but big prayers that require a little bit more faith than you have today. Maybe it's about sharing your faith with someone at work that you know God wants you to reach out to, but you're kind of like, how do I do it? How do I do it? God is with you. Give him room to work. You know, maybe for you, it's about daring to dream a bigger dream that you've dreamed before. 
Maybe it's about just giving God more of a room in your life for him to speak into your life. Maybe it's all of the above. See, when you do these things, like Gideon, you're giving God opportunities to show his power in and through your life. You're working with God toward a new heart. Amen? And see, because Gideon kept giving God opportunities to show his power in and through his life. Because good Gideon kept open communication with God. Because Gideon was committed to obeying God step by step. You know what happened? Very bit by very bit, stage by stage, season by season, Gideon went from not trusting God at all to trusting God a little, to trusting God a lot, to trusting God with everything that he is. Such that God could even say to Gideon in Judges chapter seven, Gideon, you've got too many men, 32,000, way too many, drop it down to 300. And Gideon could say at the drop of a hat, okay, it's because all I need is not the 32,000. All I need is you. That's what Gideon was. He turned from a man with no faith to a man of faith because God led him to a new heart and a new horizon. And God is doing the same with you. He's leading you to a new heart through his encouraging word. He's leading to a new heart through his undeserved kindness. He's leading to a new heart through inviting you to put your hope not in yourself, but in him. And we can respond to him in these three ways that Gideon did, open communication, obedience to God, opportunities. Ooh, oh, 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 right? That's what we want to give him today. And we're going to do that right now, right here. We're going to give God an opportunity to show his power in and through your life. I just want everyone to stand in this place here on site, also online. Don't worry about your neighbor because it doesn't concern them. Maybe your, your, your neighbor is kind of sitting down, but I encourage you to stand up. I encourage you to just respond to God right now because we're going to give God an opportunity to do something in your life today. You know, maybe you're here and you're kind of wondering, like, what, what's, what's my next step here? I'm, I'm new to church. I, I don't really know what to do here. Can I tell you this? If you've never done this before, the next best step you can take is to ask Jesus to forgive your sins, to ask Jesus to come into your life and to, you know, and to say, God, I want you in my life. And to start a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, not because of how good you are, but because of how good God is. He sent Jesus Christ for you. And if you've never opened up your heart to Jesus and asked Jesus to forgive your sins, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. It's so simple. You don't even have to come to church all your life or for a few years. You can be first time ever in church and you can pray this prayer. I encourage you to do this. We're going to show you a prayer that you can pray. It's a very simple prayer. Uh, and uh, what you can do is you can scan that QR code that's on the screen, or you can go to mythrive.info and press the button that says, uh, I want to ask Jesus into my life. And what it'll do is when you do that, it'll take you to a page with a prayer on it. And that prayer is just a really simple prayer that you can pray to ask Jesus Christ into your life. And so that you're not doing this alone, because you're not alone. This is an opportunity for you to do this, but we're going to do this with you. And if you pray this prayer before, I encourage you to pray this with those who are praying it for the first time. This is just our way of opening up our heart to God and giving God an opportunity to do what only he can do. We just pray this with you right now, church. Go ahead and just pray this together. If you know you need Jesus to forgive your sins, why don't you pray this with me right now? You can say, dear Jesus, thank you that because you love me, you died on the cross to pay for my sins. You rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart and I ask you, please forgive me of all of my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I place my trust not in what I do, but in what you've done for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Hey, you know what? If you prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer, then according to the Bible, you are forgiven of your sins. It's that simple. It's not based on your good work. It's based on God's great work for you. 
and you have a new relationship with God, you have forgiveness for sins, you have security for your eternity. And if that's you, we've got a couple things. Number one is uh, some gifts that we wanna give to you. Just go down to the bottom of that prayer page that you just used right now. There'll be some gifts that we'd love to send to you. On top of that, if you're here and you prayed that prayer, we'd love for you to do a couple things. Number one, keep coming to the church. See, every baby needs a family to grow up in. We'd love to be your church family here at Thrive. Um, and praise God. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where we encourage you also to get baptized. Baptism is not a graduation. It's a beginning. It's you simply saying, I am a sinner who needs a Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. You can go to mythrive.info and press the button that says baptism. For more information on that, we'd love to help you get baptized if you've never been baptized before. But lastly, for those who are here who realize that this message was for you, you realize today that God is doing something in your life that maybe you weren't really appreciative before. Maybe you realize there's certain ways that you need to work with God more this coming week, even today, this coming season, to lead you to a new heart, new horizon. If that's you, could you just do this right with me right now? We're just gonna give God an opportunity to work in your life. We'll just lift up a hand to God right now. Let the height of your hands reflect how much you need him today. Let the height of your hands reflect you, just saying to God, God, I need you. God, I, I, I open my heart to you. And I'm just gonna invite you, give you an opportunity just to talk to God in your own words before I lead you in prayer. We'll just start talking to God right now in your own words. Just start responding to God. Respond to what you heard today. Respond to his word. Respond to his presence. Respond to who he is, the way he's leading you with his encouraging word, his undeserved kindness, an invitation to hope in him. We just start talking to God. Don't worry about your neighbor. Doesn't concern them. Just start talking to God. It's between you and him. Just start talking to God from your heart today. That's it, church, to do that right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Praise your name. Praise you, Father. That's it, church. Start talking to God today. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. There's none like you. Praise your name. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Father. Praise you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you today. Say there's none like you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your encouraging word. Thank you so much for your undeserved kindness. Thank you so much that you let us depend on you and hope in you and find our security in you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Why don't you pray this prayer with me? Just repeat this after me. Say, thank you, Father, for your undeserved kindness in my life, which leads me to a new heart. Thank you, Father, for your word that always encourages me. And thank you that whenever I feel insecure, I find security in you. Please help me from now on to keep open communication with you to obey you step by step, to give you opportunities, to show your power in and through my life. Thank you that you're leading me to a new heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout, let's play together right now.